Welcome to Engagement Matters, the podcast for business professionals who want to effectively engage with stakeholders and increase the productivity of their teams. Brought to you by JHW Corporate Training. For more resources and to subscribe to the show, visit jhw.com.au. Hello and welcome to episode six of Engagement Matters. My name is Christina Cantors and today I'm joined by John Williams, So today we're talking about facilitation in the workplace. And John, I understand you have seven tips to help us improve the way that we facilitate. Correct. But first, and this is really important, can you share with us why this is important? Yeah, sure. Facilitation is a fantastic uh, skill and and highly valuable in helping us uh, move initiatives forward, getting buy-in, getting empowerment of the staff getting new fresh ideas does a whole lot of things it helps us improve the way we uh, perform our jobs and bring people along with us uh, and and it's highly motivational fantastic and i'm sure people listening have seen a lot of facilitation happen or they've experienced it a lot but it may not necessarily be really effective all the time so can you share why if it's not done well what happens? Yeah, there, there, there are consequences. Um, sometimes we, um, we skip some of the rules of facilitation um, that I'm going to be talking about later. And when that happens, um, we can actually end up thinking we've achieved all those things that I mentioned earlier, when in actual fact, we haven't achieved those things. Maybe we think we've got the buy-in of the people and they feel that they've been heard when they're all leaving the room saying, Mm-mm-mm, this is not going the way I want it to. And we might have some passive resistance. We might have had an active resistance in the room. We may have all sorts of illusions about how well it actually went compared with the way that the participants saw it went. And we might not realize that there and then, but later down the track during this project or initiative, that can come and bite you really hard when things aren't going quite as swimmingly as we hoped. Mm. It reminds me of that quote that goes, the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place or something like that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's along those lines. I can't fully remember who said it, but... Anyway, so John, you've got seven workshop facilitation hints to help us to run better facilitation sessions and to get better buy-in from from staff and whoever it is that you're working with. Yeah. Can you take us through those? Yep, sure. So what's number one? Number one, probably the most important, certainly very important, and it's worth remembering, the facilitator is independent. Now, this is one of the mistakes that is most often made in the workshop in that probably the most involved person, maybe the manager of the group that has the most at stake or the specialist in that topic that's trying to get everybody on site, they often by default become the facilitator as well. That means they're not independent. Okay. The problem that that leads to is that the facilitator becomes the most influential voice in the discussion as well. And in fact, can close down other voices that they don't occur, uh, concur with. The great power about facilitation is it's an influencing technique. It's uh, for the participants to 
know that they've contributed, they've worked through the content, they've, it's, they own the content. When in a workshop, the manager takes control and shuts some level, some parts of the conversation down or pushes their own barrow. When the specialist in the software, when we're talking about the application of a new software product, when they're guiding the discussion and says things like, no, that's not the way our software works, you won't be able to do that. This is all closing down the influencing and the empowerment within the workshop. People are switching off and are feeling betrayed by the facilitator. I thought this was a session for us all to openly express our views, but clearly it's not. Somebody has already decided on the answers and this is just a mockery. And when people leave the room... They're not necessarily going to tell you that they've checked out Mm. or that they disagree with all the outcomes or that they may feel strong enough to sabotage the outcomes later. They're not going to tell you that. And you may well go away with a rosy feeling, but maybe you've set some time bombs that um, are going to go off later down the uh, initiative because you you didn't, you know, with the best of intent, you just set the thing up um, inappropriately and we end up with um, problems later. So what's a manager to do then? Well, if, if I'm the manager of a group and I'm truly looking for the input of all staff in the discussion about how we might restructure or how the culture should be developing or, or whatever it might be, then I must not be the facilitator as well. I will take a seat on the floor and be a contributor to the discussion. I want somebody to run the workshop, who is accomplished at the skills of facilitation, but has no vested interest in the outcome. So it might be somebody from a different department within our organization. It might be somebody from outside. Um, But they're given the brief to remain independent and give everybody an opportunity to contribute. Nothing's off the agenda because we're trying to gather everybody's needs. And at a later point, we analyze all the ideas and come to a group consensus about the way we go. Mm. If I, as a manager, have already decided how it's going to be, then I shouldn't try and trick my people into thinking they're making a contribution. I should tell them how it's going to be. And that's a presentation, not a workshop. Right. So if we are truly looking for the empowerment and buy-in that facilitation brings, then the most vested or invested people in the discussion should be allowed to contribute from the audience and we get an independent person to lead it. It's the only way to avoid that conflict of interest. Mm. And also if the manager or the boss or whoever is removed from that facilitation role, then the rest of the staff will most likely feel more free and able to express their own opinions without worrying about being shut down or based off previous experiences they might have had with that Correct. with that manager as well. Correct. And since we're all sitting on the floor and it is a, a workshop, we all have permission to challenge the views of the boss because we've just leveled the playing field. That's what facilitation is all about. And if you don't do that, you're not truly getting uh, um, all of the ideas out onto the playing surface. Excellent. All right, so that's point one. Hint number two, and you've got written here, separate the idea generation and information gathering from the analysis. Can you yeah. explain this? Yeah, I can. 
often within a workshop, we have some sort of um, ideas generation. It might be a brainstorming session. It might be uh, giving everybody the opportunity to put their knowledge on the table. Um, one way or another, that's the good a good starting point for a workshop, gathering all the knowledge together in one place. What so often goes wrong with this, and we know this from basic brainstorming technique, the rules of brainstorming say we spend a certain amount of time throwing ideas out. And quite specifically, during that certain amount of time, there is no criticism, no analysis, no discussion, no prioritization. That all comes later. What we're doing is being creative and just throwing ideas out onto the board. And we do it quick fire. And as I throw out ideas, that might generate ideas for other people. And we just throw them out. All we're trying to do is get the ideas up there. No idea is bad. No idea is good. They just all get on the board. What so often happens is somebody throws up the first idea and somebody else says, oh, no, that's not Lee, or no, we can't do that. because," And we start having a discussion about that whole point and we never get any creativity going. Mm. We labor over every little point as we go and we might be having analytical discussions that we actually don't need, but we're stifling all the creativity that comes out. And we're alienating everybody in the room that has no interest in that one particular point because they're sitting around listening to a discussion for which they have no involvement. Have you experienced that before where people, where you might, you might have been facilitating as an independent facilitator and then someone puts out an idea and then other people immediately jump on it and start analyzing it. Does that happen? It it very often happens. Um, on the workshop, we run um, the uh, facilitation exercise, mm. and so frequently that very thing happens, and the workshop never gets fin- finished. It, they run out of time, and they still haven't got ideas up on the board, mm. and we've generated a whole lot of discontent in the audience because certain people had no interest in the one issue that seemed to dominate the whole discussion. And then if they see, oh, that person's idea got attacked and dissected and analysed within an inch of its life, they're going to think, oh, I don't think I should put an idea up. I think I might keep mine quiet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So um, very, very simple. It's just the, the, the standard rules of brainstorming. Let's get the ideas out there unencumbered, rapid fire, get the ideas out there, whether we use post-it notes, whether we use a whiteboard, however we do it, just get the ideas up there quickly with no discussion, no analysis, no prioritization. Uh, and once we finish that brainstorming session, then we can start looking at all the ideas up there, start analyzing them, grouping them, finding common themes and so so on and so forth. And move on on in that direction mm. but you have to have them as separate parts of the session or even separate sessions if, yes. if need be yeah. all right fantastic okay point number three hint number three i should say agree the structure and ground rules up front yep again very simple to do but very effective when we do it well so one of the ground rules part of the structure that we're going to announce up front is that we're going to keep the ideas generation separate from the analysis. Mm. Why is it important to do that up front? So that when people start contravening it, I have the authority 
to bring them back to what we'd agreed. So you can say, oh, we already agreed that we wouldn't do this, guys. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> so as part of my introduction to the workshop, I would normally say, okay, I've got a couple of ground rules. Uh, first one is we're going to keep analysis and um, ideas generation separate. And the reason we're going to do that is blah de blah de blah Is everybody comfortable with that? Then... When we start brainstorming, if somebody starts getting into analysis, I have the authority because they agreed it up front to say, okay, can we hold that analysis later? We'll get onto that later. More ideas, please. Keep the ideas coming. No discussion, no analysis, no criticism. We agreed that up front. Mm. Similarly with the agenda for today, I, being the independent facilitator in that room, do not have any authority. I have not the right to... Uh, impose upon you the agenda for today. I do not have the right to tell you to, f to turn off your mobile phone, for instance. But I can ask if everybody in the room is prepared to accept this agenda, if everybody is prepared to switch off their mobile phone, is everybody in agreement to one voice at a time and please show respect to other people? If people nod and agree to those suggestions from me, the ground rules up front, then they've just given me the authority to enforce that. Should we all get a little bit excited later in the day or should somebody pick up their mobile phone and, and, and start taking calls? We then can say, uh, sorry, we did agree up front that we wouldn't be doing that. Mm, so it's a group decision. Exactly. How do you actually phrase that with your language when you, because essentially you are, you are sort of creating these rules, but you're presenting it in a way that says, these are some rules that we might want to consider following. Are you okay with that? So how yeah. do you actually phrase that? So I phrase it as a suggestion. I phrase it as a question. Yeah. We found that if we're going to get the best out of this workshop, it's usually best if we distract, uh, take away the distractions of mobile phone. Sure. So is everybody happy to at least put our phones on mute? Hey, let me do mine first. Or maybe I'm going to switch mine off altogether. Is everybody happy with that? So you're making it more about the outcomes and saying, hey, we'll all get a better result. We'll have a better time. We'll get more done if we do this because we're found from our experiences rather than saying, I don't want every, anyone's phones on. Everyone exactly. turn your phones off. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you don't difference. have the authority to do it and people will, will people don't like being told. They're mm. going to rebel. So um, it's not an instruction. It's a, a, a request. Mm. Fantastic. Any other ground rules that you usually – get everyone to agree to up front? Well, the, the structure and the timing, and that moves on to, to hint number four. You'll see uh, I've, I've suggested managing time overtly. Right. Often we see in meetings and presentations, uh, as well as workshops, that um, we're worried that we might be running out of time. We get people surreptitiously looking at their watch. We might have uh, appointed a timekeeper who's trying to make funny signals, hand signals from the back of the room, you know, slitting their throats or, you know, pointing at their wrist. This is all sort of surreptitiously, you know, it's almost makes people suspicious. Why are they doing that? I would much rather during the ground rules say, so we're going to spend 15 minutes on this section, then 20 minutes on that section, and then 15 minutes at the end on that section. Is everybody happy with that as a structure? If everybody's nodded and agreed to that, then during the 
workshop, I have the right to say, okay, it's now quarter past 10. We did agree that we'd only spend 15 minutes on this section. So we now need to move uh, over to the analysis. And that's managing time overtly. I am managing time so that my participants get the best bang for the buck of their time, not because I've got somewhere else I'd rather be. And that's why I think managing time overtly is is the best way of doing it. Because mm. also if you then develop that habit of running over time, the next time you run a facilitation, everyone will go, oh, I don't want to go to John's session because he's, he ran half an hour over time last time. And he's probably going to do it again. You get that happening. Uh, you might not even get that luxury because people might <laughs> just leave the room before the yeah. meeting is completed. And um, that leads me on to the next step, which is... Uh, Number five. Number five, agree plan of action uh, and document it. Uh, If we don't get to that step, then the chances are we've wasted the whole session. So this is plan of action at the end of the session. Exactly. So if we don't manage time overtly, the bit that we're going to miss out on is we didn't allocate all the actions properly. We didn't agree the outcomes Mm. and so on. And often that can mean disaster for the, 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 the initiative going forward. I make the point here, it's the facilitator's responsibility to ensure that the actions get documented and so on, agreed and documented. It's not their job necessarily to do it. They might ask for a volunteer from the workshop to say, who's prepared to document this? Who's going to agree to X? Who's going to agree to Y? Um, So the facilitator doesn't have to do everything. There's a whole lot to do here. The facilitator doesn't actually have to do the timekeeping. He might delegate that to one of the other members of the workshop. Can you give me a nudge at the 15-minute mark and at the 20-minute mark? Uh, Would you, Christina, be be prepared to document the section around A or B? So it's not the facilitator's job necessarily to do everything, but to ensure that everything that's essential does get done. Because mm. it's not the facilitator's role to document stuff or, or keep time because their their role is to facilitate and generate, will help everyone to generate those ideas. And outcomes. And outcomes. Yeah, let's get to the end of the process so that mm. we get the outcome that we're seeking. And also when you have other people within the group involved as well, so you give them a role to play, it then they are then, I would imagine, more invested in the actual workshop and in the outcome because they're contributing somewhat. You know, they're not just yeah. they're not just passively sitting back and listening in or whatever. They're actually doing something that involved. contributes. Yes. That, yeah, they're involved in it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, number six, call an adjournment if things are heading off track. Yeah, I think um, this is one of the techniques that uh, in certain circles, uh, legal circles, negotiations, it's certainly not unusual for one party or the other to call an adjournment to, to the meeting. In general business, it's not often done, not even often considered. I think um, when things Uh, When the tide's flowing against you or when the room's becoming perhaps a little bit too passionate, a bit too overheated, where we're going off on too many red herrings, it's going to stop us achieving the uh, overall outcome. Uh, When any of those things are happening, it's sometimes a good idea to say, should we take five minutes here 
do you want to go and get a coffee? Does anybody need a nature break? I mm. need to recenter myself and get, um, whatever the reason, there is no harm in taking an adjournment. And from my experience, when you do take an adjournment, we come back five, 10, 15 minutes later. Everybody's calmed down a little bit. Everybody's re rethought things through. Uh, maybe as a facilitator, I've had a chance to go and lobby um, one or two of the key players or possibly uh, go and have a, a quick chat with somebody that's really stuck in a mode, one-on-one. -on -one. Whatever it might be, when we get back, we can restart the whole thing from a new starting point and get back on track, whereas we could have stayed in that room before the adjournment for as long as we wanted, and all we were doing is digging ourselves into mm. a deeper hole. It changes people's physical state as well, because if they're sitting there and things are getting heated or going in one direction or feeling stagnant, you know, standing up and moving around, getting some fresh air, that will that also helps clear people's minds simply yeah. by getting up and moving around. Yeah. And we see it in um, sporting events as well that, um, you know, the half time in a soccer game or a quarter time in an AFL footy game or, or after lunch in a cricket game, the impetus has all been going one way. And then after the break, mm. the other team starts to move into the ascendancy again. So well, tennis players call a timeout. Exactly. And then the other player gets really mad because they were on fire. And then the opponent's like, oh, they're on fire. I should probably call the timeout. Injury break, injury break. Yeah, we sit in basketball <laughs> as well. And the whole point of that is to to halt the momentum going in the wrong direction so that I can reverse it. Mm. And and it's a perfectly valid technique for, um, for a business environment. Yep, fantastic. And our final tip for today on how to be a better workshop facilitator. Where possible, meet key participants beforehand. Yeah. Um, it's one that's often overlooked and, and it's so simple. If you're um, the independent facilitator of a fairly contentious issue, um, it's worth getting around to as many of the participants in a one-on-one -on -one situation, probably reasonably informal, maybe just over a coffee. Um, but to talk about what their viewpoint is, to build some sort of relationship with them, build a bit of engagement. Um, you don't want to be going into that room where everybody sees you as a stranger. Because as a facilitator, you need a little bit of goodwill going in your favor if you're going to be successful. Now, if you're coming in as a stranger, you don't have any investment or any um, goodwill in the bank. Just going uh, and sharing a coffee, going and talking to people, listening to other people starts to get some... Uh, um, investment in the relationship bank that you might be able to call on during the workshop itself. Do you meet them individually? Where possible, yeah. Or certainly in small groups. I wouldn't try to get the whole group together in one meeting and say, uh, prior to the workshop, I'm trying to build a relationship with all of you. Um, that, that wouldn't work. So what sort um, of questions do you ask them? I'd, I'd ask, I'd outline the broad area that the workshop's going to be about and um, I'd ask them whether they have any um, passionate thoughts on, on this. Have they got any particular preferences? What do they see as uh, the, the, a desirable outcome for them and so on and so forth. So I start to s anticipate where we might have tricky issues that I can prepare for before the event actually starts. It can also help to reduce your nerves going into that situation, into the facilitation, 
because you've already met people. And I find it's the same when you're giving a presentation to an audience that you don't know. If you actually go up and introduce yourself to people, say, in the front row or the first few rows beforehand, when you get up to speak, you feel like you're speaking to people. You've got some friends. Yeah, you've got some friends who are already like, oh, I know that person. She's cool. He's cool. He's he's friendly. Yeah, it certainly does bolster the confidence. And, Mm. um, you know, if nothing else, it just helps you remember people's names because um, you might have 8, 10, 12, 15 people in the room. If you're meeting them for the first time, it can be really quite off-putting if you don't know anybody's names or, or can't put names with faces, can't remember names. If you've met them beforehand, you've got a much better chance of at least sort of half or three quarters of the room. I've got a, a lock on their name, put the face with a name. And that is quite you know, a relaxing outcome for for the facilitator to be going in the room that confident of knowing the people around them it really does help Mm. and then the people who haven't met you before if they see their colleagues getting along well with you they've already got rapport they'll think oh this john guy must be all right he's pretty cool yeah Yeah. maybe i should yeah maybe i should cooperate (laughs) let's be be fair about this the momentum is either going to be going in one direction or the other um, and I'd rather have that momentum moving in a positive direction from the start rather than, than a negative direction. If it does go in a negative direction for whatever reason and you've caught an adjournment, you've come back and it's still not quite working out, do you have any other bonus tips for our listeners as to what they can do in that situation? Yeah. One of the key things is uh, come back to the agreed objectives of the session. Let's agree what we're trying to achieve. We're all here to try and get an outcome along these lines. What you've got to remember is um, nearly every every time we run one of these things, everybody in the room has the right intent. Often, most people in the room want to get to the same place. There might be some differences in de- de- destination that people are striving for, but often there's not a great deal of difference in the destination. It's more in the mechanisms of how we get there. So people are not coming into this negative to say, I just want to destroy. Most people have got good intent to build greater value for their organization or for this initiative. It's just about finding the compromise in the approach we take. And so if we go back to, let's remember what the overall objective of this session was. That's where we're trying to get to. And right now at the moment, we seem to be deadlocked in a, a position here, how can we chunk it up to a higher level and say, okay, we recognize at the detail level there's an issue here, but if we step up a layer, we're all trying to achieve this. So how can we compromise to achieve that outcome? Fantastic. So just to recap those seven workshop facilitation hints, we had number one, facilitator is independent. Number two, separate the idea generation and information gathering from the analysis. Number three, agree the structure and ground rules up front. Number four, manage time overtly. Number five, agree the plan of action and document it at at the end. Number six, call an adjournment if things are heading off track. And finally, number seven, where possible, meet key participants beforehand. Perfect. You could be running the next session. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm an expert now on facilitation. But nothing beats the practical implementation. Takes practice. <laughs> Certainly does. And uh, you look forward to practicing on, on the next engagement skills workshop you attend. <laughs> that will be fun. If you found this podcast useful, 
and you found it benefited you, make sure you check out the show notes at jhw.com.au slash facilitation. We will have a PDF there of those seven points for you if that's something that you would like to send on to your colleagues or team members or whoever else you think would benefit from it. So make sure you go to jhw.com.au slash facilitation. Also at jhw.com.au, you can find out more details of the engagement skills workshops that John runs in which which there are also there is also a session dedicated to going through those seven steps and helping you to become a better facilitator too and you do get to run a mock facilitation session during that workshop which is highly valuable all right and that's it for this episode thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time thanks john thanks christina thank you for listening to engagement matters the podcast brought to you by jhw corporate training To download free resources or to join one of our public engagement skills workshops, visit jhw.com.au.